You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast with cuts, keeps, punch-ups, and tweaks for great movies, as suggested by us. <laughs> I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And on today's Side Notes edition, we are discussing the top films of the last year and also the previous year, because time is a flat circle and makes no sense. Um, yeah, our, our movie watching was interrupted, uh, movie production was interrupted, so our recap for, for the year is actually for the last two years, 2020 and 2021. Yeah, 2019's been going on for a lot of months now. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike Scott, I have, I have not managed to, to watch uh, a ton of movies in the last year, the last two years, so hence why I pitched doing 2020, or yeah, 2020 and 2021. But, well, you, uh, apparently Scott went on a movie bender just to, just a blasting through films. Yeah, uh, though you say uh, 2020 and 2021 movies, and I have not watched, apparently, very many <laughs> of those. Uh, not a lot that came out in the last couple of years that I was like, I want to see that now, as opposed to, I could wait for that to appear on streaming. Um, <laughs> so, like, uh, haven't seen Dune yet, not exactly rushing out to... Uh, to movie theaters. But yes, I have watched very nearly 365 films in the last 365 days. And by the by New Year's Eve, my goal is to have watched 365 films this year. So a Herculean feat, if there ever was one. Does those include all the bad movies that we watched? Uh, definitely, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they all count. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, some of them are rewatches. Uh, those are being counted too. But uh, not a lot of them. I've actually made a point to try to go out of my way and watch movies that I'd missed or hadn't gotten around to seeing yet so i've watched a fair number of like classic movies and foreign films that i just never gotten around to and i've seen some really good movies this year but unfortunately none of them qualify for this list so (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm very much like a safe and comfort guy when it comes to the pandemic i've been watching a lot of like you know stuff i've seen before or whatever so this episode was good because it was it was pushing me to have a goal about watching a bunch of things that I hadn't seen. So this last couple of weeks, I've I've played catch up uh, on watching a bunch of stuff that I hadn't seen yet. Yeah, I uh, surprised myself when I crunched the numbers and looked at, I'm like, I have actually seen most of the, the stuff I wanted to from 2020 uh, and all the stuff from 2021 I haven't seen was stuff that's like still in theaters, right? So like Last Night in Soho, Dune, Pig. Um, yeah, I was really surprised that I had watched as much as much as I did. So looking forward to it. Yeah, right off the hop, we wanted to talk about a movie um, that we all watched, and, and I, I think I'm correct in saying we all liked. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And also, I should, before we before we get into it, just for our listeners, a, a little note on the format. Um, we we when we all kind of crunched the numbers and tried to figure out what our top movies were, uh, I think a lot of us just ended up with like movies we're excited to talk about on the podcast uh, <laughs> versus maybe like a top three or a top five list. Because uh, I even would say um, definitely in my top top five or top of the thing was was feels good man. But uh, we got a whole episode, a whole other side notes episode on yeah. that. So if you want to hear my thoughts on feels feels good man, go listen to that. Yeah, and likewise, I really really liked Tenant 
uh, which would probably have been in my in my top five movies from the last two years, but we already did an episode on it. So, yeah, I actually purposely left documentaries off of my uh, top ten, quote unquote, just because we had two of my favorite ones had, we had done an entire episode about. So, yeah, it yeah. just seemed like it would be I'd be repeating myself. Uh, the one film, as Greg was trying to set up, and then I inter- interrupted him, uh, that we had all seen that appeared on at least one of our lists uh, was, uh, of course, uh, uh, Scott, you want to do the honors? It's your pick. Sure. It was Palm Springs from 2020. What a movie to come out in 2020, uh, (laughs) because it is a movie about a guy who's stuck in a time loop and has like descended into nihilism because of it and kind of gets pushed out of that by other people entering his time loop. And there suddenly being consequences to his actions, I guess would be the best way to put it. And it was such a perfect microcosm of where we were all at at the time that it came out. Like they couldn't, they couldn't have planned for that movie to come out better than it did. And it kind of flew under the radar a bit, I feel. Um, and it was surprisingly good, actually. Like it's got mm-hmm. a really rock solid cast. Uh, it's led by Andy Samberg, uh, Kristen Milioti, and uh, J.K. Simmons. And they hit it out of the park. It's a really good movie. It explores um, some interesting ideas. It takes a different look at the idea of a time loop. Uh, in a way, it kind of deconstructs Groundhog Day and then reconstructs it in a fun way, which I quite like. And uh, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed Palm Springs. Gentlemen, you also uh, have hinted that you quite liked it. What were your thoughts on Palm Springs? I mean, everything you said, everything the critics have said, it's just a really well-constructed comedy, well-constructed science fiction story, well-constructed drama, right? Like a good good arc, like the character goes through a really satisfying arc. But they did. there was one little touch that I really appreciated, and I might have even, if we offhanded discussed this movie at another, in a previous episode, I might have said this before, because I feel like I've said this to you guys, um, but... Uh, it's a time loop. Screw it. I get to repeat myself. Um, <laughs> there's a scene when he talks about all the ways he's tried to break the loop, uh, like staying up super late and getting like to another continent because he stayed awake for like, you know, 16 hours or something like that. Um, and I just the thing I liked about the second act of that film is it did the right amount of playing within the rules that it set up and answering some of those what if questions in a way that I found really satisfying as the kind of person who watches a, a movie with like sci-fi rules like that and be like, well, if that's true, wouldn't X, Y, Z be true? And they do just enough to like satisfy me, but they also don't waste a whole lot of time on it. Yeah. And so like seeing him, all the ways that he's tried to like break the loop um, I thought was a really nice, satisfying way of, of yeah, uh, uh, playing in the world without squandering too much time. I also like the concept of how Sandberg's character is scared to leave the loop when the possibility comes up and how he's like settled into the comfortable nihilism of his existence. And the idea of moving on is legitimately terrifying to him. And that was an interesting twist on it because yeah, that makes sense. Like so so many time loop stories are all about people desperately trying to get out of the loop. And he did go through that phase, but now he's at a point where he's like, I don't, I don't know if I could live in the real world anymore. And that's 
just it's such an interesting headspace to find a character in in that movie and and that becomes part of the conflict he has to overcome i'm i'm not trying to spoil the movie it's just a great movie if you haven't seen palm springs seek it out it's available uh and watch it it's really good yeah that's the part of it um him already being nihilistic and just uh resigned to his fate of being in the loop that was fresh to me like there there's been quite a few time loop films to come out or 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 shows like i'm thinking of edge of tomorrow or uh, russian doll with uh, natasha leone and most of them follow a a similar track where they they try to get out At, at, at some point they all become a little nihilistic like they all kind of give up there's that kind of that's your lowest point in the in the arc right and then they come back um but I, I, that's that's sort of what I really enjoyed about it. Is it is it it just sort of like dumping you in? Is like, oh, this guy's already he's already stuck in it. You're already you're kind of dealing with it, and um, yeah, so really good, really funny, um, and I and I liked. Uh, I like the I like the solution to it where she where she figures out how to get out of the uh, the t- oh sorry all right, spoilers for Palm Springs coming up right here so <laughs> skip ahead a couple of maybe thirty seconds or so but like she she figures out how to get out of the loop by uh, uh, learning quantum mechanics because uh, <laughs> she's got all the time <laughs> the in the internet. world right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's uh, I just I just kind of enjoyed that and I I kind of like that that the solution was just like her wearing a big just a bunch of C four <laughs> just blowing up the the time portal so to speak that was great i uh yeah i i do like the framing device too of you know you you follow a character as they first get into the time loop but there's already characters in the time loop when she gets there so she we kind of get to move through some of that initial figuring out you're in a time loop stuff because yeah Yeah. she she has the second head experience from the other characters it's yeah, the it's line. Smartly done. Oh, it's it's one of those time loops you might have heard of, and she's like, "Time loops I might have heard of." Yeah, yeah. It's very. It, it follows a, a similar track to uh, to Edge of Tomorrow in that way. Well, and it also, at its core, it's about three people discovering that life without consequences is also kind of meaningless, and moving beyond that in an interesting way and yeah again it was it was the perfect movie to come out when it did because we were like it was the height of the pandemic scare uh when we were all afraid to go outside and like washing our groceries when we got home like things were (laughs) things were much more intense than they are now and yeah it was it was just the right movie at the right time and it was really good and we talked a lot about it, so I think it's time for somebody else to to mention one of their movies. Yeah, Greg, hit us. What's uh, what was one of your favorites in the last two years? Um, it didn't necessarily hit my my top three, but um, uh, I I just recently watched uh, the Harder They Fall, which is um, a western by James Samuel uh, that's on, on Netflix. Um, this movie was rad, like. It's got uh, it's just oozing with with style, not only um, cinematically, but just like um, the wardrobe is fantastic in this film. Um, and uh, just someone had mentioned to me uh, on Twitter that like everyone is so good looking in this movie, and it's it's absolutely true. Just that every every single uh, actor is dressed to the nines, and they look fantastic in every scene. And um, it's a it's just a joy visually, from start to finish. Um, it has a it has a very 
um, you know, pretty simple plot, um, but it, it sort of makes up for it in 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 style. Um, although there is a nice twist at the end, which uh, which makes getting to the to the end uh, a lot uh, a lot of fun. So, for me, I think it, it, I was thinking about um, this is this is an all black cast, um, mm-hmm. and and by and large, um, there are very few white people in the movie at all uh, the only ones the only white people that uh, that really appear are ones that get completely you know robbed by the main characters which is is hilarious and i was thinking about black panther when i was watching it just because i hadn't i hadn't seen a western from an entirely black perspective before and that was just so interesting to like just to to see that vision to see how how the 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 west is interpreted you know slavery is sort of like it's not really mentioned it's like it's like no we're not doing we're not doing that we're we're you know these are these are characters with agency and things like that like we there's a couple passing passing references to it but like by and large it's just like this is just a full-on western uh with an excellent uh, black cast and um it's uh, it, it just it just kind of tickled me the same way that like um black panther did is just like seeing this completely different vision that we just don't seem to get enough of mm-hmm. yeah i uh unfortunately i haven't seen this movie it's on on my list to watch actually my my girlfriend we have a little her and i have a little list of like movies we want to watch together and she put it on there and i was like oh what's this and then i was like damn how did this get past me but um, there's a, a podcast actually uh, that that's available called Black Cowboys, and and I didn't realize how many how many Black and Hispanic people were what we consider cowboys in the Wild West, uh, and it's part of that like great whitewashing of the North American story that like yeah. all cowboys are white guys, uh, and it's like no, they're good like a huge huge number of them were Black or Hispanic, and so I'm glad. Uh, yeah, I'm glad they they made a movie like this to sort of correct that. And also, if anyone wants to learn more, there's a podcast called Black Cowboys from this year. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, the, the the only other thing I'll mention about this film before we move on is that I really loved the efficiency of characters. Like, it's got a pretty large cast, um, but every every character's got a good quirk and a and a small little arc to them, and every single one gets a moment like a fantastic moment so uh, the, the, you know hats off to the to the screenwriter who is who's also james samuel it's just you know uh, uh well put together hmm. gonna Sweet. have to check that one out yeah yeah it's uh, it is it is already on two of my lists my own lists of movies to watch this year and the one my girlfriend made um speaking of movies you watched this year liam yeah, we'll uh, we'll do one of mine, and I'll I'll keep it in the, that same sort of vein uh, of of uh, movies about uh, uh, the 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 black experience and how that's an enlightening thing for a white dude to be watching in twenty twenty one, and also just having a good time with the movies. Um, as I was putting my list together of the movies I'd seen, the movies I wanted to talk to, uh, I kind of actually ran into a lot of redundancies, like a lot of the same movie or same like movies that sort of check the same box, and I was having a hard time making cuts. Uh, so I'm I'm gonna sort of compare and contrast as I go uh, to basically just my way of cheating and doing more movies than the allotted three we gave ourselves. Um, but I watched uh, uh, two films uh, that sort of looked at the grotesque treatment of black people in by the United States government, 
Uh, one was slightly better than the other, but they were both great. Uh, uh, Trial of the Chicago 7 um, was really uh, entertaining and endearing, and uh, I had no idea that this uh, that series of events took place. So if you get a chance, check out Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, but more so, and the movie I want to talk about uh, is called Judas and the Black Messiah. So this film uh, follows, it's, it's a biopic um, of uh, a fellow named Fred Hampton, who is the chairman of the Black Panther chapter uh, in Chicago uh, in the 70s. Uh, and uh, the FBI uh, found a guy, like a sort of a two-bit criminal named Bill O'Neill, uh, who was going around using a fake FBI ID to like do crime stuff. Uh, and they rope him in to be an informant who infiltrates the Black Panther Party. Uh, and it's uh, just a really brilliant biopic of these two men. Um, in the case of uh, Bill O'Neill, played by Lakeith Stanfield, you see just this like tragic story of a race trader. Like, just not just like a race trader, but just like a, like, a, tra- a traitor to the common good. Like he really, um, he, he, he completely undermines for 12 years, the hard work that Fred Hampton is doing. And in this film, you also get to see the hard work Fred Hampton is doing. And in that way, it was very uh, enlightening and inspiring um, because Fred Hampton, even though he's in the Black Panther, he's a community organizer. He's like getting people together. He's solving problems. He's like making school lunches for kids. He's talking about socialism. Uh, and and it was like this absolute gut punch where you you get this story of an incredibly inspiring individual organizing his community and doing right in the world. And then all the while, the point of view of the movie is this guy who is fucking him over. See and like lying and pretending to be his friend, um, and it is heartbreaking. And the ending is absolutely heartbreaking. It's based on a true story, but spoilers for history, I guess. <laughs> um, once it kind of all came out that uh, Bill O'Neill had been doing this, um, uh, he kills himself uh, in the in the late eighties, uh, and there's a really powerful shot of Lakeith Stanfield as uh bill o'neill and then they show you the same footage of a pbs interview that uh the real um uh, bill o'neill did and you just the the look on both of those guys face the actor and the real guy you can see behind his eyes that he's like he knows he has he has done like a injustice on a cosmic level um and and then you find out he they do the like the thing that biopics do where it's like later so-and-so went on to do this so-and-so went on to do that like in a text scroll and it's like bill o'neill fucking killed himself because he's a traitor and it's just like it's it just it inspired me to want to be a better community leader and it broke my heart that there are so many insidious awful people in the world undermining the good hard work that needs to be done so yeah it's uh, yeah. i mean that's part of the reason why it feels like nothing ever changes right because they are there are so many bad actors just walking around and you know either yeah. either either outright you know uh, being uh, being unscrupulous people or doing it underneath the uh the covers i guess you know so yeah it but and it, it really does create this like weird back and forth when you when i've been thinking about it in the in the excuse me 
when I've been thinking about it in the months since I've watched it, where it's like, you get sad. When I get sad thinking about all the bad actors in the world, I think about Bill O'Neill. But then when I get inspired thinking about all the incredible leader, the, the Greta Thunbergs, the, the, um, I need a second polar. I'm going to have people rolling their eyes, but just like <laughs> community leaders, right? Like people who are doing yeah. good in the world. You get, you also have this biography of Fred Hampton, who was a very cool guy, uh, doing incredible work. And also it's played by, I'm going to screw up his name, but, uh, Daniel, uh, Kaluuya. Yep. Um, who's just, a, both him and Lakeith Sanfield are probably some of the best actors I think working today. Uh, and yeah, br- brilliant film. Highly recommend it. Yeah. Daniel Kaluuya is great. Um, Really good in, in Get Out, you know, as a, yeah. a performance. And he looks good on the back of a rhino in Black Panther. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. He's really got range. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd love your feedback, but I guess neither of, neither of you guys watched it. So you just got to smile and nod and be like, yeah, yeah, Liam, that does sound like a great movie. It, it, <laughs> it does. does I, I, very, I was very close to watching it. Is there's There was a bunch of movies on my list and uh, yeah, just uh, just didn't get to it in time. And if, but, you're, if you're standing there holding, you know, uh, trying to decide between this or Trial of the Chicago 7, slight edge to Judas and the Black Messiah. Right. Fair enough. Uh, Scott, yeah. Uh, I'm buddy. going to take us from, like, deep and uh, impactful film uh, <laughs> right up to some just airy nonsense. Uh, I'm going to bring up Free Guy. Um, Free Guy makes my list of favorites from the year rather surprisingly because it was a rather surprising film. Um, I watched it more or less on a lark, um, was not expecting anything from it, and was pleasantly surprised, possibly because I was expecting nothing from it. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's not bad, guys. It's not a bad movie. Uh, as far as like kind of... Uh, light breezy movies go it's got a nice uplifting message ryan reynolds leans into type and uh plays ryan reynolds which is a part he plays very well um he's surrounded by a pretty decent supporting cast there's a ton of surprisingly surprisingly on point digs at the video game industry uh which i thought as someone who who kind of follows some uh, video game news and some of the uh, very serious uh, consumer and business complaints surrounding the video game industry right now. Um, I thought that was actually uh, some well-deserved criticism. And uh, yeah, it was it was uh, a pleasant surprise that I would recommend. If you're looking for something that's not terribly challenging, uh, but will fill up a couple hours and probably make you smile by the end, you could do worse than Free Guy. We'll put it that way. Yeah, I was surprised by some of the discourse that came out around it. Like a lot of people were like, "This is way better than it has any right being." Yeah, it. I kind um, of. I, I. I'm not. I'm gonna make a comparison here, and it might not sure. be entirely fair. I kind of put it in the same category as the Lego Movie, in that it was a yeah, movie that okay. I saw with no expectations that I was pleasantly surprised by, and that was probably better than it had any business being. But for the record, the Lego Movie is head head and shoulders better than Free Guy. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. I guess for someone like me who saw the trailer and went, well, that looks stupid and I'm not going to watch that. Um, like w- without, without spoiling too much or with spoiling too much, I don't care. I, <laughs> um, what, like what wasn't stupid about it? I guess like <laughs> h- how was it not as dumb as it looked? Um, because it actually does 
delve a little bit into the idea of artificial intelligence. And while it, it doesn't dive as deep as I kind of wish it might have, it doesn't leave the topic undiscussed. And because Guy in the, the character in the game does have self-awareness, is a person, essentially, who starts to break out of his rote programming, um, you get a little bit of exploration of him kind of trying to find meaning in a, in a life that is fundamentally meaningless because he's, he's not even a main character in the game. He's the, he's bank teller. Like that's, that's his role. And when he starts to break out of that, it brings chaos to this game world and it brings chaos to this game company in an interesting way. And there's a plot going on outside of the game that also has some nuance to it. And again, levels some very, deserved criticism at a lot of these big AAA game companies and how they work. And I thought it was, I thought it was a pretty good movie guys. See? So, I mean, your mileage may vary if you're a little Ryan Reynolds doubt and that's fair. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> it might not be he's for just you. playing Ryan Reynolds in it. I yeah. Assume. Like ever since Deadpool, that's basically all he's been yeah. playing and that holds true here. And there is definitely a couple eye roll moments in this movie. Uh, because it is a Disney venture. So, I mean, there's going to be some Disney stuff in there. But, I mean, it stuck the landing for me. Um, it it made me smile. And in a year where there's been a lot of just, a lot of reasons not to smile, a movie that made me smile was a welcome movie. We'll put it that way. Greg, you got one on your list that uh, that made you smile for big, dumb, stupid reasons? Because <laughs> I certainly do. I certainly do. Nah, no, no. No, the answer is no, I don't. <laughs> I'm just trying to find a, a through line. Yeah, a nice for segue. Our, good, to be so fair, we segue like, from so Judas can, and the Black Messiah to free yeah. guy. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I can't, I, I can't lay you up for that. But the, I mean, I, I appreciate you trying to lay me up for it, I suppose. But like the, uh, my next film I wanted to talk about was uh, Promising Young Woman. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I don't know if, have either of you seen Promising Young Woman? I, I like... I wanted to when it came out, then I kind of forgot about it, and then in making this list, had every intention of watching it, and it ended up revisiting one of the movies on my list to make sure it was something I wanted to talk about. So, sure. like, yeah. took a, took a movie-watching spot that I had this week, um, but it's it's also way up there, because I have heard nothing but good things, and there's a bunch of comedians I like in it. So, please, sell me on it more. The, s- the story of... Promising Young Woman, uh, Carrie Mulligan uh, plays uh, Cassandra, who is a former uh, medical student uh, who her friend has uh, been had been sexually assaulted and uh, I believe committed suicide. um, And she is now, uh, you know, spending her life. Um, basically attempting to get back at the male predators who, you know, had, had done this to her. Not not those people specifically, although that's part of it. Um, but you know, you you may have seen, you know, in the in the trailer, she she uh, acts drunk, and uh, when the guys try to take her home and take advantage of her, um, suddenly she reveals that she is indeed sober. And, uh, um, yes, it's, a it, the, the movie is, it reminds me a little bit of Get Out in that, um, you know, as a man, as a, as a man watching this, like, you can't help but, you know, look for, um, 
the the redeemable male character because they're all such pieces of shit. Uh, just same as just as the same in 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 Get Out. Like there like there are no redeemable white people in that movie. As hard as you try, the the movie doesn't let up the gas on it at all. You just have <laughs> to deal with it. And yeah. it's the it's the same it's it's the same with promising young uh, young woman and Carrie um, uh, uh, Mulligan is is. Uh, absolutely fantastic in this um and uh and bo burnham is very good um yeah and uh good turn by uh doc ock who am i thinking of what's his, what's <laughs> alfred molina alfred molina yeah he's got he's got a brief scene in this as well but um it's i think famously this movie has a, a very shocking ending that uh that not everybody loves um for for me it, it for me, it worked. Um, it's it, although it was it's it's hard. It's it's pretty visceral. Um, so just warning about that. If you're gonna go check out Promising Young Woman, there is there is an absolute speed bump in it. <laughs> if you're if you're uh, squeamish at all, or um, uh, or you're you know triggered by assault, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna do things to you. So, um, but yeah, it's a, it, it's just something that I couldn't leave off my my list because it was you know it just. Uh, speaks to something that's very important for uh, for me to keep thinking about, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in this day and age, and and uh, you know, it, it's just a, a well put put together film at the at the same time. Is it is it funny? Oh yeah, I th- I think I think so. Um, it's it, honestly like I ask just I not because I think sexual assault's hilarious. It just got so many comedians in it that I'm curious if it's uh, if it's a funny yeah, film. I think there's there's definitely I, 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 the the tone isn't um it's it's strange. It, like the the tone is definitely kind of more in the in the dramedy side of things. Um like it it really it really shifts like when when Carrie Mulligan is hunting the men like there's there's almost horror like elements to it. It's a it's kind of a fascinating film that way because it really kind of plays with a lot of your emotions as it goes through the various parts of it and the in the the middle of the film is actually kind of uh much more romantic comedy like and it it, it gets it gets quite um, sweet, in fact, at at certain points, it's so it really takes you on a ride, and I I, I think that might be why the ending is is such a, a gut punch for a lot of people. Cool, uh, yeah. Like I said, I was I was minutes away from watching it, and then instead <laughs> chose to watch uh, my one of my favorite films of the year for a second time, just because I was like thinking back, I'm like, is this my favorite, or was I just excited about it? And uh, upon a second viewing. Um, uh, I would very much like to, to recommend, uh, a Canadian horror film, uh, one of a couple Canadian horror films that I watched, uh, that were released. Um, I was going to talk about briefly Blood Quantum, which is a, uh, uh, zombie film where the, the tilt is, uh, indigenous Canadians don't turn to zombies when they get bit. So they end up becoming the saviors. Uh, very cool movie, but also I, it came out in 2019, um, a list I saw put it on a 2020 list, um, but uh, just just quick quick name drop for Blood Quantum. But the movie I want to talk about is a different Canadian horror film, uh, horror comedy called uh, PG Psycho Goreman. I, I know I, we discussed this ahead of time. I know you guys haven't seen it, but are you at all familiar with it? Have you seen the trailer? Or are you? I've heard nothing but good things about Psycho Goreman, and just have not had the chance to see it yet. 
I went down to the lobby and bought it on Blu-ray. If you want to borrow my <laughs> copy, uh, on, I'll bring it to you. I'll bring it for you on Monday. Um, uh, I am. Uh, I, I'm reasonably familiar with it because I, be- I believe I've watched um, a review of it on YouTube. Actually, um, yeah. so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm well aware of the, the its its quirkiness, and um, I think is is there one is there one performance that like a lot of people are not can't get through. That, well, yes. So the, I'll, I'll st- even though this might be one of my favorite movies of the past two years, I'm going to do a lot of apologizing for it. <laughs> um, this is, but uh, let's be fair, Liam. That's kind of standard for your best of year. Lists. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're like, hey, the greasy strangler. I put an entire I'm decade of cinema it. behind yeah. the yeah. greasy strangler. Yeah, the, the, the Psycho Gorman <laughs> at the top of your list might be the most Liam thing ever. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the premise is, um, or not the premise. What this movie sets out to do and does really, really well is show off very cool practical effects. It is a love letter to practical effects. Um, there, not only is the titular Psycho Gorman a guy in like a like head to toe demon suit um, with like dripping neon pink cracks that have blood coming out of him and his there's blood all running down his mouth and he's got claws and spine. He looks great. There's an entire council of like galactic uh, lawmakers who locked him away thousands of years ago because Psycho Gorman's uh, up until he meets a certain character whose actually name is the Archduke of Nightmares uh, is just there to rip the galaxy asunder and extinguish all light in the universe. Uh, so the whole, the guys who lock him up is like a round table of some of the coolest like puppets and costumes you've ever seen. Uh, there's a whole scene where he like has a full on fight with like five other guys in really cool rubber costumes and puppet parts and, and practical effects. Like there's a, there's a character in this film who is a walking chum bucket of corpses. Like, so think a robot that's a bucket and then in the bucket is just blood and corpses (laughs) and he has a fist fight with a demon. It's looks awesome. Um, uh, and so in that regard, it is very, uh, good. There's also a lot of really good humor in it. Um, like there's heat psycho Gorman's going to describe all the ways in which he is, uh, uh, like he's recounting a battle he had on like a rainbow bridge against some other cosmic being and the kids just cut him off. They don't care. It's a very, like a lot of that kind of stuff, like playing with like the, the gravitas lore of this character, but putting this absurd demon into like a Harry and the Hendersons type movie, like a real short circuit situation where like a family finds this weird critter, like E.T. It's like E.T. if E.T. was like going to extinguish all light in the universe. Um, uh, And that is the performance I think a lot of people would have a hard time with is the little girl who finds the gem and now has control over Psycho Gorman, who she names, hams it up. And it's not her fault she was told to be hand, like she took the direction and ran with it. She's a child actor. And also part of the bit is she is like not afraid of him. Like nothing phases her. She's very like Bart Simpson-esque, very bossy and very like, I'm cool. I'm calling the shots. I'm way too mature for my age. Like um, Lu- very Louise Belcher from the from Bob's Burgers type, yeah. right? And, and the, there's, especially in the first 10 minutes, she's a little tough to watch. But the performance grows on you, and then you get to see crazy monsters. Uh, the other little boy, the guy who plays her, the kid who plays her brother, has a much more grounded performance. He's definitely like a better actor. 
And probably the um, straight man tour. And the straight man tour. Yeah. Um, actually, if anything, I'm, I don't know which one you're referring to, Greg. I found the dad kind of insufferable. They try to make the dad character funny. Um, oh, yeah. And he's he's kind of like, he's got some of the cringier lines. Um, but if it's, you can get... If, yeah. It's the little girl lead that I think that I've heard a lot of people had a tough time with. Yeah. And if you're one of those people, if you watched it and you didn't like it, fair. Um, but if that's, if, if watching a movie with a child actor chewing the scenery seems like something you wouldn't be able to get past, I encourage you to get over it. Cause she's, she's, she grows on you throughout the movie. She grows on you. The first 10 minutes is a little much and then she grows on you. And I think she did a great job and I, I'm excited to see her do more as she matures. So, um, yeah, very fun movie. Good practical effects. It's very Canadian. It's it does look like <laughs> it, does it look looks like it was way. made. F- it, it it was made for no dollars, and the dollars they did have went into blood puppets. So <laughs> the wettest, yeah. juiciest puppets they could buy. Yeah, right on. Well, uh, my last movie has monsters in it, mm. but it's a Pixar film. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about Luca. Uh, this one really came in under my radar. Um, I I was aware it had come out, but I didn't hear a lot of buzz about it. And wow, uh, I watched it and it was great. And um, I mean, Pixar's track record is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Arguably. So I shouldn't be too surprised by that. But um, the elevator pitch is um, a pair of boys... Uh, decide to uh, kind of spend the summer bumming around this Italian village and they make friends with like a local uh, semi-local outcast and have adventures and have this summer of excitement. The twist is they're both creatures from the Black Lagoon and they need to hide that fact from the villagers who ha- are af- afeard of sea monsters because they can look human so long as they remain dry. And therein lies some of the drama and some of the comedy. And it's very much a movie about acceptance. And I'm going to say this. It is as gay as you can make a movie by Disney aimed at children about children. <laughs> because... The, the two male leads in the movie, like their relationship does come across as maybe more than friends. And uh, it's really touching as a coming of age story. And uh, it's just good. Like the animation is great. The performances are great. Um, if you haven't seen Luca, treat yourself is basically where I'm going with that. Because again, it flew in under my radar and I regret sitting on it as long as I did before I watched it because it's it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, how does it stack up against Soul? I did not see Soul. So that okay. is why Soul does not appear on my list. Nita That's did, right. and she raved about it, and then I didn't get around to watching it. <laughs> it's, it's the simple truth about that. But I did watch Luca, okay. and I did very much like it. So Nice. Sorry to put you on the spot there. No, if you want to run question. and ask Anita how it compares to Soul for me, that'd <laughs> <Fair> be <question. laughs> yeah, the, the, the highest animated film on my list uh, ended up being The Mitchells versus The Machines. And uh, yeah, that was sitting at about 11. Which I did yeah. see. And uh, uh, Luca was much better. Interesting. 
I, I actually waffled about Mitchell's in the Machines or Free Guy on my list and ultimately went with Free Guy partly because I wanted to talk about Luca and I didn't want to just have animated films on my list. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I ended up too, right? Like Blood Quantum or Psycho Garment, right? Cool. Yeah, it looked, uh, it looked a deer. I'm surprised. Like, I don't know how a Pixar movie flies under the radar. Like, <laughs> it's just the, because like so many people aren't going to theaters right now. Um, it came out on Disney plus, I want to say maybe around the time that they were just like, well, you know, how about you just pay us 40 bucks on Disney plus and you can just watch it whenever. Um, so I think, I think it kind of low key came out and it's a shame because it's really great. And I yeah. <laughs> quite liked it and would recommend it. Yeah, when you said it was by Pixar, I, I didn't even realize it. That's that's how <laughs> under the radar it's been flowing for me. Are we at the top of my heap? Yeah, back. Uh, what's what's uh, what's your last one here, Greg? Uh it's called I Care a Lot. This is uh, this is an Amazon. No, film. I, know, I know you care a lot about movies, but what was the film you chose? <laughs> I care a lot. <laughs> um, I, I don't think that either of you have seen this. Am I correct? Can't say that I have. Um, I care a lot is a uh, stars Rosamund Pike, um, who, uh, with this film just really locks down, um, the, um, terrifying female sociopath role. She's got that unlocked between this and gone girl. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. if you need that character, Rosamund Pike is, uh, is your person to go to. She plays a character who, um, basically she looks after her. Uh, old people once they've kind of lost their faculties and, and becomes their legal guardian. Um, except she is abusing this and, and using it to um, enrich herself. Uh, you know, they, there's there's many, there's quite a few scenes at the beginning of the film just um, showing how, how depraved she is and, and how she just looks at these old folks as, as numbers uh you know and and uh looking them up and down for how much that they can squeeze out of their possessions and things like that once they do take their their guardianship it's it's a very it's a very interesting movie things go off the rails when she takes legal guardianship of a woman who has connections to the russian mob and then it just spirals from there so that's kind of the elevator pitch i've never i've never watched a movie where I've enjoyed seeing a character on screen so much, but also hated them so much <laughs> is the mm. best way I can put it. She, it like, I, I, I really like every, like I enjoyed, I enjoyed uh, Rosamund Pike's performance. And I, and I, 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 I almost want to say I liked the character, but I also like every bad thing that happened to her was fantastic. And I love that too. So nice. like, it's, it's just like a thing where it's just like, you just, you know, especially in the age of the, of the pandemic, like I just really enjoy seeing bad people get their comeuppance when on the rare chance that it does occur. Uh, and, uh, and this movie does pay off in that particular way. So the, uh, her character, like she's not all like, it's not, it's not a movie where it's you know just full of horrible horrible characters that it gets becomes exhausting like the 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 characters have a lot of life to them they aren't depressing um or or, uh or so uh wretched that it becomes a bit of a slog peter dinklage's uh character he's the he's the russian mobster is uh, a, a, 
uh, very engaging. Chris Messina is in it. He he's uh, plays a uh, plays the Russian's lawyer, and he's uh, he's fantastic. There's lots of really good kind of uh, comedic moments in the film. That uh, this, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's not just a slog. Uh, even though the the subject matter and the people who are in it are all pretty pretty horrendous, uh, and Rosamund mm-hmm. Pike's character has a, a, um, a really good relationship with her partner, and that kind of allows you to uh, identify where identify with her with her just enough so that um, you kind of want to her, her succeed, even if in and especially in my case, uh, you also want to see her get her comeuppance in the end. Yeah, that's so, very similar to the the Lakeith Stanfield character in Judas and the Black Messiah, mm-hmm. where you're like, "I hate you, please continue." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, highly, highly recommend it. It's uh, it, it's easily the best movie I've seen in the last two years. That's come out in the last two years. I am not. I was just looking up the details. I'm not familiar with the uh, director. Oh um, uh, yeah, I just new to me too. I believe. Um, Jay somewhat. I, I, he, he, I've seen Alice Creed, which was also good. Um, mm. uh, he wrote that. I don't think he directed it. Uh, no. Um, but yeah, he's. Um, I don't. I don't think he's done. Oh no, he did. He did direct Alice Creed. Sorry. Yeah, I looked up his Wikipedia, and he looks like the uh, energy vampire from the TV series What We Do in the Shadows. <laughs> he does a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet, cool. That's another, that's another one I have to check out. Though my partner said she watched it, and she was like, "It was fine." So interesting. That's maybe what the point of art is. <laughs> yeah, it's Highly everyone subjective. pulls something different from it from uh, from a particular piece of art for sure. Like generally speaking, when I'm when I'm doing my ranking, like that's kind of how I rank things. It's just like it's you know it's like how like you know how did it like how much did it speak to me like did it did it engage me on that level did it did it yeah did i did it did i get the tingles in my brain while i was watching it kind of thing you know yeah well that's uh that's definitely how i felt about my movie again i don't i didn't rank them i don't know if this is my top movie of the year but it's no, you just it's said one Psycho that is man is <laughs> Well, no, it's it's that's why I said it's second because it's not quite this. This one might I think I might have gotten a little more hard to believe that you could get more out of a movie than uh, a, a chum bucket robot monster. But here we are. Um, uh, yeah, just that that good feelings, those like inspiring, like you take something from it. Um, and in, in this case, um, also not just uh, from art, but uh, as an artist myself, um, one of my favorite films of the year was uh the Sparks Brothers, uh, the documentary by Edgar Wright um, about a band called Sparks. Um, also, before I get into it, there was one other documentary about wild shit that no one's heard of in the 80s that I got to give a quick nod to. If you have access to HBO Max, watch Class Action Park. <laughs> yes, uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's like a documentary if like a guy opened a theme park where he tricked teenagers into doing jackass stunts. And you're like, how was this allowed to happen? So it's like all the fun of jackass, but a documentary. Um, so cl- quick nod to Class Action Park. Um, but uh, I definitely got more out of uh, the Sparks Brothers. Um, so it's a music documentary. It's about the uh, career of a band called Sparks. They've released uh, 25 or so albums since the 70s. 
uh, and um, I, I I don't consider myself uh, a much of a music like aficionado. Barely consider it for movies, but even less so for music. But I definitely have a fairly at least from like a trivia perspective, like being able to answer Jeopardy questions about music. I feel like I've heard of most bands. I had never heard of Sparks. When I saw the trailer for this, I thought Edgar Wright was doing like a spinal tap. <laughs> I think a lot of people um, did think he was doing that, actually. I think a lot of people did, but they're a real band uh, and they're fucking great. Um, and this movie was extremely affirming as an artist. Um because it's basically the story, it doesn't follow the same trajectory as a lot of rock documentaries where it's like, it's the rise and then the fall, but maybe it's coming back. Like, or just like the rise and fall and now you're dead from too much cocaine. Uh, <laughs> it really was the story of like two guys who did exactly the kind of art that they wanted to make for the last three or four decades. And it has on one hand ensured that they are forever at the edge of popular music, but has also made sure that they can continue on long after their, their peers and predecessors and contemporaries have, you know, moved on to, to movie soundtracks or died of cocaine. Uh, <laughs> uh, they have, they have cemented their place at the fringe of popular music for all of time. Um, and because of that, uh, live incredibly, uh, um, artistically fulfilled lives doing exactly what they want to do. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I started as a, as a stand-up comedian and, and I don't do it too much anymore, partly because I found as I worked my way up the industry, it was getting harder and harder to do some of the gigs that required, I don't even want to say a broad appeal, but like required, I find audiences that were willing to engage with me and what I was talking about, which you're not going to find at like a corporate Christmas party in Grand yeah. Prairie. Um, and seeing like 25 albums these guys have made and every one of them, some people love it. Everyone else is like, what is this? <laughs> what? <laughs> um, so if you've never heard of Sparks, um, that's actually more of a reason to watch this documentary. If you're like, why would I watch a rock doc about a band I've never heard of? That's the point. Um, uh, it might behoove you. Like I, the day I watched it, I knew I was going to watch it. So I spent the day listening to some of their music and that gave me like, Oh, that song. Oh, that's some context for that. That's some context for that. But honestly, go into it cold. You'll still be satisfied. Um, and now I'm like, have a new band. I like like four or five of their songs are now on playlists on regular rotation. Right. It's just, it's great. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was aware this movie had come out and um, it's also on my to watch list. I, I haven't gotten around to it yet, um, but I also had not heard of the band. And my first impression was also, this can't be real. Right. And then quickly found out, Oh no, it actually is real. Yeah. So uh, you're watching Weird just... Al, Beck, and uh, Jason Schwartzman all be like, oh, this is one of the greatest bands of all time. It's like, what? <laughs> like, what well, band? It, it does not surprise me that Weird Al Yankovic is familiar with weird uh, bands on yeah. the edge of popular culture. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, they, they're just, they're ten, they've, they've got fingers in all sorts of pies. I didn't realize there's a, like... A, a Paul McCartney video from the eighties references the keyboard player from sparks. And that was like a quick thing where they had to like, the guys from sparks are big Beatles fans. 
and then Paul McCartney gives them a nod in the eighties and it like made their, made their decade. Um, so it's like, they, they do show up. You might've heard their songs and not known it. Um, but yeah, they just, they exist right at the periphery of, of pop music. Uh, and, um, yeah, it was, it was a, I'm kind of repeating myself here. Sorry, but it is affirming as an artist to watch that film. Plus it's an Edgar Wright joint. So it's got all the like style and panache and humor of an Edgar Wright film. So, yeah. Yeah, that that definitely bumped it up on my to watch list. Yeah. And it was already on my to watch list. So yeah. haven't haven't seen Last Night in Soho yet because that's still in theaters. So who knows? Maybe that would have been my Edgar Wright pick. But um, yeah, this movie kicked ass. Yeah, there there are a number of movies which I'm expecting that I'm probably going to like when I get around to seeing them that I just haven't seen from the last couple of years. Like The Green Knight, I'm probably going to like, but yeah. haven't seen it. Dune, probably pretty we good. Watched, uh, haven't seen it. We watched The Green Knight last night, actually. And? And I didn't make the cut. And I'm still trying to unpack how I feel about it. There you go. <laughs> fair, see. Fair. Not, like, not in a bad way. It's just... Um, yeah, it's um, it's an interesting film that I that that will definitely leave you thinking about it afterwards. Yeah, I'm I'm worried that people are going to hear your uh, lists of these movies that you enjoyed the past <laughs> couple years and hear my very milk toast <laughs> uh, mainstream picks and are going to be like, I thought Scott was a movie snob, but I'm going to point out I watched Twelve Angry Men for the first time this year, and that is. Uh, an absolute five-star classic. I watched a a field in England this year, which is a psychedelic trip that uh, Liam is definitely going to like when he gets around to it. Uh, I watched the lighthouse this year and that was amazing. So like (laughs) I've, I've seen some movie snob films, people just not some contemporary ones. Okay. When at the end of the day, two Disney films, I watched Uh. the trial this week, which is an Orson Welles movie about a Kafka story. So <laughs> Starring well, the I guy guess. from Psycho, it's so good. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. No I guess one, now, no that we've, was, no. now that we've worked out some of our insecurities, we can we we can go hit break and then pick on uh, some filmmakers' uh, insecurities as we talk about our disappointments. This episode of I Have Some Notes is brought to you by Alberta Association of Optometrists, proudly celebrating a century of caring for Albertans. It happens. Many people don't call their optometrist first for urgent eye care when they need it. From spring cleaning mishaps to winter eye infections, if you or your family have an eye emergency, doctors of optometry are trained to diagnose, treat, and prescribe medications, no referral necessary. And just a reminder, Alberta health coverage is available towards your urgent eye care appointment. To find an optometrist in your area, visit optometrists.ab.ca. The Alberta Association of Optometrists represents almost 800 doctors of optometry in over 80 communities across the province. Members are highly trained, regulated health professionals who provide primary eye health and vision care to Albertans. Learn more at optometrists.ab.ca. Brr, sure is chilly outside. Uh, the, the winter is here. It's cold weather times here in Alberta, and that means energy usage for all Albertans will be increasing. So now is a great time for listeners to look at their utility bills and ensure they are on the best plan. Albertans have a choice who they pay their utility bills to. Park Power is happy to provide free, no obligation comparisons. If you decide to switch providers, it's easy, and you can feel good knowing you are supporting a local business and helping to give back to our communities with your utility bills. Learn more at parkpower.ca. 
Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. We're recapping the decade so far, the two whole years of it, um, in our favorite and uh, now going into the second half here, least favorite films of 2020 and 2021. Most of the bad movies I watched were with you guys for the podcast, so that's, yeah. that's encouraging. Yeah, there were some bad movies. And to be fair, my bad movie pick is a movie we did an episode yeah. on. Because it was one of Let's the most odious that. movies that, that I've seen in the last two years. Yeah, I, I feel like I got kind of tricked by by my disappointment a little bit. <laughs> well, why don't we start with yours then, Greg? Right, right, yeah. Uh, so Mortal Kombat for me was th- the most disappointing movie that I watched. And you might think that it's stupid for me to be like, oh, I watched the the video game movie Mortal Kombat and I was disappointed by it. <laughs> like, well, obviously, asshole. It's, it's not going to be good. Uh, but in my defense... Um, they released um, a, like a, the first seven minutes of the movie um, beforehand, before release. Um, and it's this really good, tight action sequence uh, set in um, medieval Japan, uh, a fight between Sub-Zero and Scorpion, or who becomes Scorpion later, right? You know, it's lots of fun, cool action. It's it, it it's got uh, the you know it sets up little stakes within its scene really well and stuff like that. Like it's it's a good good scene. And like normally when you watch a clip like that, um, you know you could watch a trailer and be like, wow, it looks good, but who knows what the movie's gonna be like. But usually when you when when a clip gets released and it's actually good, you're like, wow, well, it should be indicative of what I can expect from the rest of the movie. So what I didn't know was. Uh, they released the only good seven minutes of the movie. (laughs) The rest of the movie was absolute piss. I I couldn't believe how quickly uh, it went from being awesome to being total trash in in the span of like 30 seconds. Um, It's it's written extremely, extremely poorly um it like if you think about the 90s uh mortal Kombat, like yeah as, as i often do it is never <laughs> yeah, my thoughts. yeah like it, yeah like yeah it's it's pretty lame it's not a very good movie but like um structurally it's mostly there like it's it's still like pretty watchable um, this one goes uh, goes from having like a, a good intro to um, pretty much nonsense immediately. Um, it it tries to uh, it tries to set up this Mortal Kombat tournament thing in the most ham fisted way possible, uh, which is a fucking vision board f- like that Sonya is set up in a warehouse. And just like that's it, like just pointing at like this is this is the combat thing, and there's the bad guys, this is the good guys. Here's the symbol that people have on their arms when they when they get called to combat. It's it's awful, and and even what what's weird is that as good as the first action scene is, the rest of the action scenes are also not good. So I'm not I don't even know what happened. Did they did they have like they hired like a like a a good fight choreographer and a good director for a day and they're like well that's all we can afford <laughs> see you later and then got a bunch of amateurs in for amateur hour um yeah i hated it how does it rate against the original mortal Kombat film oh i'd watch that one all day <laughs> this one. Oh no 
Actually, that one's a bit of a, honestly, the original Mortal Kombat movie is a bit of a guilty pleasure for me. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's, it's bad, but it's kind of like good bad. Like we've done it for the show. It was one of our earlier films, but like the, you know, it's, um, it's not irredeemable. Like it's got, it's got that kind of low budget, uh, action nineties action film charm to it. Um, uh, it, it, you know, it's not good and, and this, and the effects don't hold up at all. I remember at the time the effects were supposed to, were were like they were doing features on on TV about how amazing the effects are, but like today they you know they look so bad. That <laughs> yeah, was good, no. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I I would I would watch uh, the '90s Mortal Kombat a hundred times before I watch this one. What I feel like there was another movie recently that tried to pull the like, hey, here's a whole chunk of the movie to watch to get you excited. Um. Was it like one of the um, the first one that comes to mind is like Prometheus because Prometheus did that uh, whole sequence with uh, it wasn't in the movie but they did that whole sequence with um, uh, Wayland as, as doing his TED talk. Oh yeah, the TED talk. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, so I think that kind of but it's oh maybe I am it just is, thinking it, 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 Yes, there's there was um, the what's the one after Prometheus Alien Alien Covenant covenant yes that one had a big long scene of the characters on the ship before they hit the planet and there was like a lot of really good character stuff in there but it also wasn't in the film but if you watch it you would have like watched it thinking like oh this is indicative of what the film's gonna be this is good stuff and then you were fooled (laughs) and it wasn't even in the movie and the movie sucked yeah, it uh, sometimes, you know, in watching movies and, and thinking about them critically, whether it's for this podcast or just in life, sometimes you have to remind yourself that, like, these are consumer products, um, or at least they are one part art, one part consumer product, mm-hmm. and where it falls on that scale kind of depends like it's it really is a scale between El Topo and the Paw Patrol movie, uh, and then everything else is somewhere in between of like how much of its art, how much of its commerce, and it sounds like this Mortal Kombat movie is just a cash grab. Yeah, it's it certainly seems that way. I know that the um, the screenwriter was um, it was his first major major film. Um, I I read a big long interview with him before he had before the the film had released and he you know he did a good job talking it up like it, he was talking about how excited he was about it and stuff like that and then you know it's uh i don't know i don't know if he's gonna get another thing made yeah he probably will that's the way hollywood works but yeah they, you kind of yeah. fail <laughs> upwards only when you're a man they're just gonna give him a more marketable the problem was he, did, he didn't have a marketable enough property they're gonna give him a hit mortal combat oh, yeah. how is that not a marketable property <laughs> they'll give him a superhero or something yeah like, they will <laughs> Yeah. Speaking, Speaking of, of superheroes, yeah. <laughs> Liam and I said it at the same time. Oh, uh, boy. Wow. Uh, what both. a disappointment Wonder Woman 84 was. Mm-hmm. Um, not just as uh, like a disappointing sequel to what was a pretty good Wonder Woman movie, but just as a terrible movie. Um, it was the most miserable movie viewing experience for me for this podcast this year of a movie that came out in the last couple of years. Uh, like there were a couple slogs that were worse, but they were older movies. This one was the most recent movie that was just like, I, I hated every minute of it. Um, 
I'm pretty sure we succinctly covered all of the reasons why in our actual episode. <laughs> yeah. It's a visually spectacular movie. Uh, it's got oh, a completely wasted cast. Um, and it's got some decent ideas that just don't go anywhere. And some villains that have no cohesive or comprehensive motivations. And the ending is utter nonsense. Um, it's just an absolute mess of a story that is indicative of a problem uh, with a lot of these. And it's, it's really true with a lot of the DC movies in particular, I find um, of the last couple of years, not all of them. And I think Liam has something to say about that. So put a mm-hmm. pin in that, but um, like movies like the original suicide squad movie um, and some of the other outings that they've had where they hit the ground and start filming the movie, but they haven't actually written the movie yet. And it's all, (laughs) it's all being done like day to day by committee as they're going. And so there's no, there's no story. Like it's, it's not cohesive because there was no plan before they actually started like rolling film other than we have this A-list actor and we're going to put them in a superhero costume and we're going to make a billion dollars. And that's not how you should be approaching movie making at all. Um, and Wonder Woman <laughs> My 84 understanding is, is that I, happens a lot more than what is generally yeah. known. Ironically, Wonder Woman 84 is the, is, is the microcosm of that because it is a movie about flashy 80s, uh, high-value, low-substance uh, living um is is yeah. kind of like is kind of like the underlying theme of the movie and the movie itself is is flashy and meaningless and so like mm, chef's kiss if that was the yeah. intention chef's kiss but it was not the intention yeah. <laughs> i i think like given the given the time that this movie came out and it it, it kind of adds an extra level of disappointment to it because it was one of the the first major releases to come out in the in the pandemic era and i think I think we were all kind of clamoring for, uh, you know, a big bombastic blockbuster because we hadn't been able, we, you know, been deprived of the summer movie season and things like that. And it, I, I think it was, it came out close to Christmas, if I recall. It was, it was a Christmas yeah. thing, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that sort of adds to the extra, extra level of, of disappointment, um, and like you say, it's got like the, the first one was pretty good. And you, you think you've got con- it's the same team that came back to do Wonder Woman 1984. The marketing looked uh, incredible. So you, yep. you think that it's going to be good. And yeah, so falls into space. Yeah, when you're talking about like by committee, even if it's not like a day to day thing, and I'm sure there was some of that. You, you that you can see the focus group notes yeah. all over this movie. And it's like going back to what I was talking about with the sparks. Make the art you want to make. And then let people just engage. Like, you can find some kind of six. Or it actually goes back to the thing I was saying about the, the the sliding scale of is it art or is it a commercial product? And it's like, yeah, this one is again. It, they're just trying to to cash in on something, and it's not. It yeah, fuck. <laughs> they're not trying to tell a story. They're just trying to make money. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, which, uh, sort of leads me into, uh, in this, I know we're talking about our most sort of disappointing of the year, but I'm going to say it here. I think my favorite film of the year, or at least my favorite movie going experience of the last two years was James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Um, because I hadn't been to a theater in, in over a year 
We all went, you two, bunch of my other yep. friends. And that is a R-rated, stylish superhero movie with a kaiju at the end and is made as a fuck you to Disney. Like, I can't imagine a better movie to see in the theaters for the, after being deprived movie time than R-rated superhero kaiju fuck you. Like... <laughs> Um, and so my disappointing uh, uh, movie that I want to discuss is all three of the Marvel movies that came out this year. Your Black Widow, your Eternals, your Shang-Chi. Uh, and if I actually had to stack them up against each other, Black Widow, even even though Wonder Woman 1984 really fucks up the curve, <laughs> um, Su- Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey are better than are both better they're both equally pretty good i like suicide squad a little more but they're both exceptionally good movies birds of prey and suicide squad they are both better than the three marvel movies uh so much so that including wonder woman doesn't tip the scale in any way and i still think dc had a better two years than marvel has film wise uh even counting wonder woman in and amongst them (laughs) um yeah. yeah, I just I this is what I'm worried about with the with the MCU going forward. Uh I think the next bunch of Marvel movies are going to have the same problem all of the DC movies previously had, which is they are trying to recreate the Marvel magic. Um and I know lightning in a bottle is a weird way to frame 22 movies over a decade. <laughs> um but Kevin Feige and the the MCU from from Iron Man 1 to Avengers Endgame pulled off something pretty miraculous. Yeah. And it, it is and it is a story. It it yeah. yeah. It's it, it took creative vision, it took implementation uh that those all the Marvel movies from Iron Man to to Endgame defined the last decade of cinema and i don't think anyone will ever be able to do a shared universe movie thing as well as them ever again uh and you saw it with all the like the the first justice league the batman superman movie whatever where they were trying so hard dc was trying so hard to emulate marvel and i think going forward marvel is gonna have a hard time emulating marvel you're probably Um, right yeah the expectations are so high. They part of it was the slow burn, was the building, whereas like now we're all expecting it. And I think DC, if they're smart, and by the looks of of Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey, hopefully they're figuring it out. Gonna go off try to do their own thing. That Batman movie that's coming out With, looks uh, great. Robert Pattinson, Robert yeah. Pattinson one that looks like the instead of trying to be like here's here's Batman and but the Green Lantern's here now like great just do a good Batman movie do it in its own cool way you you don't need to try to recreate the adventures um and so yeah I I had a lot of fun at Suicide Squad and every one of those Marvel movies I was just like you're trying so hard to to do well Black Widow was just not good period it has mm-hmm. like not even not even anything to do with them trying too hard. Um, it was just um, it is it boring. Is my biggest problem with it. Scott looks incredulous. Do you disagree? 
What's that? Anita cried at the beginning of that movie, and she gave me explicit permission to tell you that she did. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Um, no, it, I it didn't, didn't do anything for me. Like, I, like you the know, the problem with the Black Widow. That, the, the the problem with Black Widow, from my perspective, I actually think that it tells an interesting story. The problem is that the story came out about five years too late. Yeah, and that that kind of killed a lot of momentum that that movie had because the character's dead. Yeah, yeah. and now we're getting us this the story about her too late for it to really matter. And I think that that's part of the reasons the movie comes out across a little flat, honestly. Um. I haven't seen Eternals, full ex- full disclosure, haven't seen it yet. I have seen Shang-Chi. I, I also thought that movie was pretty good. And again, for so one of the same reasons I thought Black Widow was pretty good, and that is because it tells a super an interesting story within a superhero story. Like, yes, on the one hand, it's uh, Marvel doing Wuxia, but it's a superhero movie about a broken family kind of coming back together. And that was interesting to me because it was different and sure but i'll like again the movie's not the, spectacular the th- the, like and there I, was stuff was in it really that i hated into, <laughs> so shang chi quick for me shang chi is literally just downhill the whole movie like the bus fight's awesome the introduction of the character's awesome then they goes to hong kong that's pretty good but by the time they get to the magical dragon world where they're just fighting an army of cg monsters i was like i don't care anymore <laughs> this is that and eternals uh um sort of plateaus the whole movie just like holds the line at like two-thirds good um <laughs> it had some interesting ideas but it also kind of like fumbled the execution a little uh, and it gets very precious with trying to like, I think that's the thing I didn't like about Eternals is a lot of the criticism with Eternals is like, there's too many characters and I don't think there's too many characters, but I think they're too interested in setting these characters up to be in future movies than just exploring the movie they're in right now. Yeah. Um, and there is enough time for all of those characters to have their moment. It just there's not enough time for all of those characters to have their moment and introduce Kit Harrington as the Black Knight and introduce the ones that survive to go off into the space and fight the multiverse or whatever. That's funny because so. that uh, describes almost exactly what DC used to be doing wrong. Exactly, and that's, they, and that's a fair criticism of both Shang Chi and Black Widow too. Is that both movies are serving partly as a springboard for characters to be in later movies, and less about the movie that it is. Shang Chi arguably is probably a little more guilty of that uh-huh. than Black Widow, because Which, again, Black Widow is the st- is is Natasha's story, and Natasha's dead. So yeah, yeah. And I think that's why, like, the first Iron Man, the first Thor, the first Captain America movies are so good, is they're not setting up anything. They're just, do- like, yeah. they're introducing, they're introducing, they're not setting up. Yeah. Whereas. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. The, that's fair the connections to the other films usually happened in the in the post-credit sequences, like a tease, but, like, it wasn't, they weren't just building everything towards, uh, like, some future crossover. Yeah. Exactly. So, whereas... James Gunn's Suicide Squad or even Birds of Prey it's just a cool movie doing its own thing and for that yeah, I love it that's fair um, so. and they both I mean, were it was, good movies it was for bound to happen eventually that like Marvel would have a have a dip and DC would would make 
good on some promises, right? So Yeah, or I don't even know if it's a day. I think just the lesson here that everyone needs to learn is don't try to recreate what Marvel did. <laughs> they did it. It's only ever going to work the one time. <laughs> Quit trying. Um, yeah. So, which is why I hate to say this, but as we look to the future in this new year, uh, I am very excited to go see Spider-Man No Way Home on Monday because I like going to the movies and I like Spider-Man. I have, do not have high hopes. Yeah. I have extremely low hopes for that because, again, it's the thing I was talking about of the, like, is it art or is it people trying to make money? And the fact that Into the Spider-Verse is such a cool, good, interesting movie, and so are all the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, but Into the Spider-Verse made a bunch of money and, and made a big splash, and they're like, uh, 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 you guys like it when Spider-Man goes to other dimensions? Uh, uh, here you go, here you go. And it's like, no, man, like, that's not, you don't, like, you're literally, you're rehashing every other Spider-Man movie. The premise of Into the Spider-Verse and the characters and bits and, and visuals and nostalgia of all the other Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. And it's like, just make a make a good Spider-Man movie. You don't have like it's it's so frustrating that they they don't get like I don't know. I'm sort of I, I stammering to, here. I have to wonder if like you guys know what I'm saying. Get, get me back on course here. <laughs> Marvel's decision because like it it seems like Sony has their paw prints all over that because I mean they've got they've got a large sway say in what goes on with with Spider-Man because they you know they essentially own the rights so like Mar- Marvel's got to make a deal with them and you know they they were trying to build to a Sinister Six movie with the Andrew Garfield universe and couldn't quite make it happen so I think when they looked at what where they wanted to go with Spider-Man some producer somewhere at Sony said hey you know, technically, all of the Sinister Sticks already exist, right? You know, like, we can make this happen if we wanted to make it happen. Um, and and uh, maybe Marvel's hand was forced. It is it, an impressively weird decision to make mm-hmm. the live-action movie also a multiverse movie when you that's, already that's, had I, a really good one. Such they a, already did Such it. a strange <laughs> thing to do. You say that this smells like a Sony thing. But Disney knows that nostalgia sells. Mm. Take a look at Star Wars. <laughs> and <laughs> so like nostalgia engine. I can't help but feel that there's some Disney in there too going, you know what? People like those old Spider-Man movies. I bet you if we made a movie about those old Spider-Man movies, it would make a bunch of money. Let's see who's available. Um, and yeah. like that, that to me reeks of Disney it, as much oh, as it reeks of Sony. It, it absolutely makes sense on paper from a financial decision. Do what worked in the last best Spider-Man movie, the multiverse thing, and layer on a whole heaping layer of nostalgia. But that's so myopic. It's so, it's like, it's again, it's the, it's the art versus commerce. It's probably going to make a lot of money but then they're going to blow all the goodwill and it'll be the last one. Whereas if they had gone with an original idea, maybe we'd get a fourth. Um, uh, what's his name? Now uh, you're being the, 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 Tom Holland. We, maybe we'd get a fourth Tom Holland movie or a bet. Like maybe it'd just be a better movie, but this is just going to be garbage because all it is, is rehashing the last good Spider-Man movie with a bunch of nostalgia put in. Now, in fairness, you have not yet seen the movie. And it only just came out. So it is perhaps 
putting the cart a little bit before the horse, assuming that it's going to be terrible when you haven't I seen mean, it yet. Uh, it might be yes, good. But also, I already have tickets. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, like so. so really, even if it's terrible, you're part of the problem, Liam. <laughs> exactly. But... But it might be yeah. good. It might be. Who knows? I uh, hope uh, I'm wrong. I truly hope I'm wrong. I just maybe I like we'll that you all be pleasant. Star Wars, Liam, because like like Star Wars is a great example of like you could where you can practically see Disney's notes on the screen. You know, mm-hmm. when you're watching something like Rogue One or something like that, you're like, oh, I gotta have Leia in there. Um, you know, it, and and t- you have to think that like with their other franchises, like they're you know, they're going to, they, they got a whole industry to worry about the toys and all this other kind of stuff. And, and, and like you say, this has almost been a theme to the, to the pod, this particular show at this point, but like, you know, art and, and money don't, um, necessarily mix particularly well. in like when, when, when money drives art, yeah, you end up with, um, yeah, some, uh, some, some pretty shitty art sometimes. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it, <laughs> You know, it's you. Ca- you kind of have to think that like a lot of these large franchises that Disney has uh, hoovered up over the years. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to try and say that they're gonna. They're gonna burn out um, necessarily because I think they're always going to be Star Wars stuff at this point. Like there's a you know they'll find a way of you know making some new movies and things like that and and new TV shows and keep the franchise going forevermore. Um, but, but I certainly think that, um, the specialness of them is over. Um, mm-hmm. and this is the same with Marvel. Like the, it's, that's the, the peak is come and gone. Um, yeah. it's not ever going to be the same as it was before. We all had a good time, you know, um, with the ride. It was fun. Um, mm-hmm. some of these franchise peaked earlier, uh, you know, like Star Wars, they, peaked in the 80s <laughs> but like you know it's it's just the natural evolution of any particular franchise right and then this is the same with like uh star trek star trek peaked in the 90s um it's it, it's probably never ever going to be as good as it was at that point um i, I realize that yeah. that's a matter of opinion but like that's it's just you know at a, at a certain point you know when you try and continue these big giant universes and these big connected films it just starts to get a little bit too messy and 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 that's honestly like why i don't read comic books because it feels like the entry points are um it makes it inaccessible because there's like literally decades and decades of comics to to read and understand not that i wouldn't get a a standalone spider-man comic or anything like that but you know what i mean like it just it just feels like you can't complete it and i'm kind of a completionist i i guess i just what I, i what i find so baffling is like if you look it into the Spider Verse, aside from the fact that it, it Spider Man's a pretty bankable character, that whole movie was brimming with creative risks. Yeah, right. Everything about Into the Spider Verse was creative and risky and new, and it paid off in a big way. Whereas something like Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four was safe, predictable, full of notes, made by committee, and it sucked ass and it's like when are they gonna realize that like you're probably better off taking a big risk and failing than trying to make this safe bet every time when it's still gonna fail because the safe bet is inherently a failure like the irony is that uh the marvel movies were in a way reinvigorated 
by some yeah. big swings that could have been huge misses. Iron Man. Well, not just Iron. I'm not talking about Iron Man necessarily because I'm talking after they were established. There was some complaints that they were getting samey, and then all of a sudden, boom! Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. a movie about a, a team that includes a tree and a talking raccoon that nobody yeah. had ever heard of. Um, boom! Thor Ragnarok. Let's take Thor in a completely different direction by taking a risk on a on a different director. Like, but even just like nobody knew who Iron Man was in 2008. Nobody would have, but like that was a risk. All the best ones were the risky ones and all the forgettable ones were safe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So when you tell me you're going to make a a Spider-Man movie, that's got the same premise as the last one and all it cares, or the fact that the flash movie, apparently they're making a flash movie with Michael Keaton, Batman. It's like, you fucking idiots, just, (laughs) yeah, yeah, Michael Keaton Batman is going to be in the Flash movie, and it's like, just make a good Flash movie, just do anything, anything. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry to rant, but that's like, I just, it's baffling to me, and it it makes me, it's why the Sparks Brothers was such a good movie for me, because it reminds me that there is value in art. (laughs) Yeah, I, I guess the calculation that Disney must be doing in the long run is like is thinking that they could probably make more money ba- making twelve safe movies rather than trying to hit a home run with twelve movies. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah, yeah. That's probably the calculation they're making in their head, and they've got to serve the investors, right? So like, yeah. and the 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 investor like in, investors don't like wild swings, right? No, they like. <laughs> but safe they bets. do love chasing the last wild swing that was successful. They, sure yeah, do, they, yeah. they like safe movies. Anyway, I look forward to doing No Way Home on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. I hope I'm wrong. Well, this was a bit of a longer episode, but you know what? It's kind of our our big end of year finale before we go on a little holiday break. So. Hopefully you got a little extra out of it to to make up for the fact you're not going to be hearing our dulcet tones for a little while. Yeah, if you made it through, congratulations. <laughs> yes. You got to hear us do- like just be depressed about Spider Man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, take yeah, take so an extra really... like twenty minutes to to really take a piss out of Marvel. Take a chunk out of a movie I haven't seen yet, but it just it's it's it it, it was permeated all that I have been thinking about in regards to movies recently. So yeah. here's the thing: by the time this episode comes out, Liam will have seen that movie, and he may have to post on social media a retraction of everything he just said, which would be very funny. Mm. Yeah, I, I you know to to end things on maybe a little bit of hope and if, with regards to the movie industry, like the, the one thing that I am noticing is that um, the way that streaming services are changing the industry, like the, the the lot of stuff is getting greenlit, like a lot of stuff, and you you know that means there's going to be a lot of crap, but like it does mean that like a lot of interesting you know writers and directors are getting their stuff made. Um, even if it's like uh, smaller budget stuff, and I've I've seen like quite a few uh, movies recently where you know they weren't big releases and not a lot of people know about them, but they ended up being some of my favorite movies of the year. So, you know, there's 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 hope that you know maybe there's a little bit of a um, of a film renaissance going there in a backwards way in the in the industry's effort to try and make the most money possible. They're sort of laying some good uh, some good foundation for for uh um you know smaller creative people so that's that's yeah. got hopefully that'll be a really good thing uh i hope you're right greg uh 
Uh, but in closing, I uh, just want to, again, remind anyone listening, please uh, follow us on social media. Uh, we're at I Have Some Notes on Twitter. Look up uh, I Have Some Notes on Facebook and at I Have Some Notes Pod on Instagram. Uh, please uh, like, subscribe, review, uh, any way that you can engage with this on the medium you're on. Please do that. It helps. Yeah. Hey, we watch a lot of movies, but you know who doesn't watch a lot of movies? Emily. And that's why she's being forced to catch up on all that pop culture on Emily Missed Out, fellow member of the Alberta Podcast Network. You can check them out right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I should have looked up when our next episode is before we started recording, but I didn't. I think it's January 13th, but it's in around there somewhere. So come on back in January. We'll see you then. I'm not sure what movie we're doing either. Yeah, we, uh, we'll be voting on it, I'm sure, yeah, on yeah. our social yeah, media. We'll, we'll put up a poll in early January for you to pick the next one. Please, please be gentle with us for our first movie back. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. Nice soft landing for the new year. <laughs> uh, until then, I've been your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Merry Christmas and keep watching the skies.